Hello and welcome to The Long Short, a new podcast brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, focusing on the very latest insights on hedge funds and private credit. My name is Tom Keogh. AIMA is the global representative of the alternative investment industry with around 2,000 corporate members spread across 60 countries. Of these, our fund manager members account for approximately $2.5 trillion in hedge fund and private credit assets. Each weekly episode of The Long Short will examine topical areas of interest from across the alternative investment universe, news, views, and analysis delivered by AIMA's global team, as well as a host of industry experts. So whether you're a hedge fund or a private credit industry veteran, a student of the industry, or just someone interested in learning more about hedge funds and private credit, this podcast will be your ideal companion to help navigate you through the long and short of this fascinating industry. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of The Long Short. And this week we hope to more clearly establish the relationship that the everyday person might have with hedge funds, potentially without realising it. If you invest in a pension, contribute to a charity or pay insurance, those institutions may invest a portion of that money in hedge funds in order to establish uncorrelated returns from their traditional investments. According to estimates from data provider Prequin, 30% of all public pension funds allocate to hedge funds. Today, we're focusing on defined contribution or DC schemes, which are increasingly becoming the standard vehicle in the UK to save for retirement. Currently, investors in DC schemes in the UK are only able to invest a smaller portion of their assets in less liquid products compared to their international peers. But as global financial markets evolve and alternative investments continue to gain prominence, some of these regulatory frameworks are now under review to assess whether they are still fit for purpose. As part of this process, AIMA is an active participant in the Productive Finance Working Group, a UK body co-chaired by Andrew Bailey, Governor of the Bank of England, Nikhil Ratai, CEO of the FCA, and John Glenn, MP, Economic Secretary to the Treasury, also known as the City Minister. And this group has been looking at how to support greater investment in a liquid and potentially more productive assets by UK investors, particularly DC pension schemes. To help outline the progress this group has made so far, we will hear from both sides of the debate. We will hear from our colleague Nick Smith, who will offer the views of both AMA and ACC members on this timely topic later in the episode. But first, we are joined by Karen Hurst, a senior policy advisor at the Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association, who has also been participating in this group as a representative of the UK DC pension sector. Karen, welcome to The Long Shore. Hello, thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, just to start off then, um, uh, Karen, can you tell us a little about the, the PSLA and, and where you sit um, in the pensions ecosystem? Of course. So uh, we are a membership body. We represent primarily uh, UK pension schemes. Um, we do have uh, a wide range of members who also serve UK pension schemes, but primarily uh, we're, we're all about our pension members. Um, we, we, we are, our sort of purpose is to bring together the sector to, um, you know, to share best practice, to, um, to, to educate, but also to, to work with stakeholders like yourselves and government to ensure that the, um, the needs of pension savers um, are represented in, in government policy. Um, so, yeah, so we've been, uh, as you say, part of the Productive Finance Working Group for the past year or so. It's been a, a really interesting experience to uh, work with others on um, on some of these challenges. And, and um, yeah, hopefully we can have a good chat about it today. 
And just to help out our global audience, would you mind giving a little bit of insight into the Productive Finance Working Group and, and what it's really trying to achieve? Of course. So uh, the group was set up just perhaps just over a year ago. Um, it was, as you say, it was initiated by um, by I think the FCA, the Bank of England and HMT to uh, bring together different partners to sort of explore the barriers to um, investment in sort of um, longer term uh, products or or productive or liquid investments uh, for DC savers. We've seen in the past, or, uh, you know, the past over the past decade or so, we've seen a move away from DB um, towards DC as, as the main uh, means of saving for a pension. That's probably only going to increase. So we, we um, the, the group is looking at how uh, that different structure can accommodate these different types of investments. Um, it's sort of, it's been um, I think it's fair to say it's been quite a fulsome debate. It's, it's certainly been um, the, the discussion has evolved quite a bit um, as the group has progressed. Um, there hasn't always been um, consensus in a lot of areas, but it's certainly been very interesting from my perspective to hear uh, the different views of the different um, different bodies and and to sort of get our views across. Uh, the group published its initial report last September, uh, which set out the recommendations on how so what some of the barriers were and, and how we could take those forward. Um, so some of the, the sort of key areas of focus were firstly shifting focus away to long term value. We've we've sort of seen a drive to um, focus on cost in the, you know in the past few years in this sector. Uh, we recognise that although that's uh, it's been really important in sort of protecting on-road savers, it, it, we would ideally like to see a, a sort of longer-term focus in terms of um, ensuring that they've got adequate pension pots when they come to retirement. Um, it also uh, sort of made some recommendations around scale. So we're currently seeing, um, I would say, quite an organic sort of consolidation within the sector. So it was looking at um, whether or not we needed to, um, you know, could that, did that need to speed up where um, all savers getting um, a fair deal with in their scheme. Uh, there was some recommendations around liquidity and how the liquidity needs can be managed um, for DC savers and also on uh, widening access to different products to, to sort of enable um, further investment. So um, I think it's been, as far as that was a really positive beginning. It was a beginning as in none of these issues are easy, but uh, the group continues to um, to meet to sort of look at moving, look at how we can move this forward. There's been some quite interesting um, announcements from government in the past past couple of hours actually so um you know it, it, this work very much continues and it is a very long-term project but it's one that uh, certainly the plsa welcomes and is happy to be part of as you say this is very timely podcast um coming out with back of this um news from the dwp um overnight but let me go back to just a couple of the comments that you made karen regarding um illiquid um and alternative assets what are the main considerations for uh, the DC pension schemes when they look to consider investment in illiquid and alternative assets? Yeah, so I, I mean, part of the reason this isn't an, an, an easy topic is that we don't take the view, and I'm not sure anyone does, that there is one barrier or, the, or there's one thing that can simply, you know, a real change that can be made that will make the, the issue easier. Um, I think it was, I would say it's probably a combination of a lot of different challenges that, um, taken as a whole, um, make it quite difficult for trustees. Um, I would say most of them are probably operational. So, um, 
you know, we, we hear quite a lot of feedback around the challenges caused by platforms who are very much set up on a sort of daily dealing basis and they find it difficult to accommodate the cash flow needs uh, when that's not possible. Um, th- th- there's certainly some concerns amongst trustees about liquidity so that, you know, part of the nature of DC is that uh, members exit at different points and they can exit whenever they want and they need to ensure that that's considered in investment decisions. Um, there was some concerns around member fairness and, and how do they ensure that... Um, the sort of additional costs, which I'm sure we'll come on to, the additional costs of some of these investments are um, applied fairly across uh, their different uh, sort of cohorts of membership. Um, I think it's fair to say uh, the regulatory environment is not very easy. There's not one rule that we think is a, a challenge. There was a couple of minor things that the group recommended could be changed, and I think the FCA are taking those forward. But um, sometimes there's, you know, in in a pensions world, there's, there's a lot of different uh, bodies, a lot of different government departments is involved in the regulation. Um, we've not always seen a consistent view on this across those different bodies. We've occasionally seen some rules introduced that um, effectively make it difficult for trustees to um, to make some of these investments. As I say, I think that. Um, there's quite a lot of agreement across uh, lots of different bodies that this is the, uh, the direction we'd like to go in is, is to make it easier. Um, I think there's a lot of interest amongst trustees and in, in exploring more of these issues. So I think um, things are moving in the right, in the right direction. Uh, but nevertheless, I think it, it's, it's probably the sort of accrual of a, a number of different issues that make trustees quite cautious around some of these things. And you mentioned liquidity there a few times. So if we could just dwell on that for a moment. Part of the solution that's been pro- proposed is the introduction of a long-term asset fund or LTAF. But how far does this go in, in helping DC schemes overcome some of the challenges you've laid out there? And what are the remaining issues of the working group in terms of what it's looking to address? So I think, so the LTF is, I think, a really positive development. We very much welcome it. Um, I think that the um, the framework that's been set out by the FCA um, and some of the guidance around it, you know, it, it certainly seems uh, to make sense. And I, I I think at this point, obviously, it's, it's quite a recent development. We've only uh, seen the rules announced in the past few months. So I think the proof will be in, uh, you know, what this means for the market and, and what new um, opportunities come to market as a result of it. I, I think that um, it will be interesting to see how some of those operational barriers are um, sort of handled when it comes to LTAFs because some one of the, um, the the pieces of feedback we hear the most from from members is the challenges around the investment platforms and and um, how they can overcome that as in the platforms are not always able to sort of accommodate the the needs of. Um, funds where there aren't sort of daily dealing or daily valuations and so obviously the LTA framework that that doesn't allow for that so it'll be interesting to see what this means I, as I say I think there is a lot of um, agreement across different partners in, in the industry to sort of find a solution to that so uh, we very much welcome it and we, we hope that it will be a positive um, move forward for trustees. Um, I think I mean some of the other um, things I've listed as I say I, I we welcome a lot of the recommendations within the report. We think of common sense um, and, and some of the commitments that have been made um, by different bodies to sort of take those forward. We we, um, we really welcome those. Um, we, we think that, as I say, this is the beginning of this journey. And so, um, you know, I think this work will need to continue. We'll need to continue these conversations to, um, to consider... Uh, how we can continue to sort of find solutions because it's not a it's not a piece of regulation that can be changed or it's not a um 
it's it, it's not a, a, a sort of single barrier as we see it. So we, we sort of welcome those decisions. We welcome a commitment from government that they'll sort of seek to have a more consistent regulatory environment for trustees, um, which we think will be helpful and, and will provide them with that reassurance that they need. Um, I'm sure this conversation is um, is, is going to come onto the issue of fees um, eventually, so I'll, I'll get there at the moment. Um, we, I think we would certainly, um, this has been quite a, quite a lively debate, shall we say, amongst the different parties. Um, I, I think we would we would certainly like to see, um, you know, we would certainly like to work with the investment sector more to sort of um, see what can be done to accommodate the needs of uh, pension schemes and, and trustees when it comes to fees. Because, we, you know, um, it, I think it's important that everyone looks at um, how, how they can help move, the, move this forward. And uh, Karen, that is, that's a great segue to the, the overnight news um from the UK Department for Work and Pensions uh, they unveiled plans back in November to remove performance fee from the charge cap this 0.75% ceiling um that, that's levied on on DC schemes um and and the DWP announced yesterday that it intended to stick to its plan even though it was not positively received in its entirety across the pension sector. Um, just, that's just a couple of um, uh, thoughts that come to mind, some questions. Just for our listeners as well, you know, what, what is this charge cap um, that the DWP refers to? Um, and, you know, I'd love to get your uh, initial reaction, that is the PLSA's reaction to, to this announcement yesterday. Yes. So yesterday, we um, the, the DWP uh, published a response to a previous consultation that um, they'd undertaken on how performance fees should be handled within the DC charge cap. So the charge cap um, obviously um, restricts uh, fees charged um, to zero point seven five percent. The there has been quite a lively debate about how performance fees should be treated within that because uh, where there's um, instances of outperformance, uh, there's a, a sort of risk of that the charge cap may be breached. That is, um, some argue, that's resulting in the trustees making quite cautious decisions because they obviously don't want to risk becoming non-compliant as a result of that. Uh, the PL, so, so I should say yesterday the DWP announced that they plan to progress with uh, proposals to effectively exclude performance fees from that charge cap, uh, but all other fees will remain within it. Um, this is something the PLSA has not supported uh, to date. We we sort of, as I say, we've always been quite supportive of the charge cap. Uh, we think it is a useful tool in ensuring that people don't get uh, overcharged. Uh, we do recognise the challenge. I think that the um, the concern we have is the sort of um, view that if this one thing will be changed, the sort of floodgates will open and it will fundamentally change investment decisions. Um, as I've we've sort of covered already, it, it's a very complex uh, environment, and and we don't rec- we don't see that this one thing uh, will resolve it, but it does risk sort of diluting protection for savers. Uh, so we would like to see, um, we, we've certainly argued uh, within the Productive Finance Working Group, we would like to work with the investment community to see if there's uh, a way that sort of um, the charge cap can remain as it is, but fees are evolved to accommodate the needs of uh, pension scheme trustees. Um, we, we, we would like to sort of continue that conversation. I, I think it's fair to say that um, we've come quite far in the last sort of uh, 14 months or so. Um, I should say the the 
the consultation of, of also set out a number of other proposals, which again we're we're a bit apprehensive about. There's some um, proposals to require that trustees have to report in their chair statement and their SIPs about uh, what their asset allocations are and also what their um, policy on illiquid investment is. I mean, the, the, we hear a lot of feedback that these documents, you know, the, they take a lot of time and money to produce. Not a lot of people read them, so we're we're sort of. Um, we're not really of the view that it's going to fundamentally change things, but we'll obviously look at the consultation in due course and work with our members to uh, provide feedback on that point. Uh, just just scanning the, the um, news headlines this morning, mm-hmm. uh, just if I could clarify one point with you um, regarding the um, exclusion of performance fees from the, the initial levy, this charge cap. Um, Performance fees are only paid out uh, when the fund outperforms, right? So does the, this doesn't alter uh, the, the the rate being paid by DC schemes. It's only on the contingency that they, the fund that is, uh, outperforms that then the fee is paid out, correct? Correct, that's my understanding of it. However, I think that... Um... I mean, I, I've certainly seen an interest in some of our within some of our larger members um, in um, negotiating situations where they don't need to pay performance fees. I, I know that one quite significant member has said that they don't feel they have to pay; they should have to pay a fee twice. They're obviously in a position, and that they have the scale and the, the sort of um, position um, that the, the, they're in a position to negotiate that, which you know realistically not well, most pension schemes are not in that position so they need to deal with the market how it is um so so as i say we would like to see um th- what can be done to sort of um evolve those fees within the current arrangements the other thing i would say is um a concern we have is we have seen a real focus on cost recently and that's not necessarily a positive you know we we do acknowledge that the the recommendation that um on this in the Productive Finance Working Group report, we, we sort of support that and that um, it, the, the focus should be on value. Uh, but we, we don't see that focus on cost disappearing just because of this real change. I think it's particularly true in the master trust sector where there's, um, you know, they're, they're competing on quite narrow margins. And so, you know, that that that's not an easy thing to address. But nevertheless, it's not going to go away because the change in the charge cap. Um and the other thing I would just maybe flag and, and a concern I've heard from members is how they deal with, you know, they're concerned about how they ensure that they can fairly apply these costs, you know, across their um, the different savers. In particular, you know, if, you've, if you're about to exit the scheme for whatever reason because you're nearing retirement or because you want to transfer your pot, there's a risk that uh, you may pay higher fees, but you wouldn't um, benefit from the long-term gains from these fees. These are not, as I say, I don't think these issues are insurmountable, but they will act as a sort of, they, they will make trustees cautious. And so it's not, as I said earlier, it's not a given. We don't accept that um, excluding performance fees from the charge cap will necessarily uh, fundamentally change decision making in this area. And, and can I also just clarify one small point on this? Because, uh, again, there appears to be some confusion that this doesn't in no way also includes an obligation by DC yeah. schemes to uh, invest any more than they currently do or at all in alternatives. This is merely providing uh, a, a maybe more flexible option for them to do so by taking the performance fees out. Is that correct? 
Yeah, correct. No obligation. Right. There's a there's a new um a new requirement that they would need to disclose what their policy is, or the, sorry, there's, there's a consultation on a new requirement that they would be required to disclose their policy on investment in illiquids. And also, I think, I, I don't recall the exact wording, but they would also need to set out in their uh, statement of investment principles, so that's something they publish every three years, uh, they would need to set out their um, the percentage of their overall asset allocation. So it's not a... Um, there's certainly no requirement, but there is a requirement that they disclose their policies and their current allocations. I see. Okay. And it's been reassuring to hear that there's a fair amount of agreement, it sounds like, on, on various aspects of, the, of this debate. And it sounds like that there is potentially room for some quite um, uh, functional compromises to come on, on a range of issues. But in terms of uh, from from your side of the desk specifically, what would you like to see from the government to support the ability of DC schemes to invest in illiquid assets? And, and and where do you think there is interest in this? You know, I, I'm I'm not sure there's a new real change or there's a new policy that's necessarily going to be the um the thing that resolves it. We welcome a lot of what the government has done. We welcome the new LTA framework. Uh, we welcome the commitment that they're going to seek to have a more consistent regulatory environment. Um, some of the operational barriers, that's not really, we don't think that's necessarily a government thing or a regulator thing, but we welcome the sort of efforts to bring everyone together um, to, to sort of find solutions in that. So um, sorry, I'm not sure I have a sort of, um, you know, an answer as to what government is going to change is going to address this because um, it's a very much a long term sort of cultural issue. Um, but we do welcome their commitment to doing so. Um, and, and Karen, um, just um, also looking at um, some other aspects of this consultation um, as it relates to ESG, um, you know, there's a huge impetus around ESG globally from policymakers, from investors. But you know, is the focus on on ESG changing how uh, DC schemes are thinking about how they invest? Yeah, so obviously ESG is a, is a subject to a huge amount of discussion at the moment. Um, it's, it's when we speak to our members, it's it's always the top issue on their desks. Um, it's at the moment the the sector is going through. Um, the process of um, publishing for the first time for many of the first mandatory TCFD reports, which will require them to set out um, the sort of extent of their um, climate risk and also the government governance arrangements that they have in place around this. So we are certainly expecting um, an increased focus on this in the coming years as, as more of these reports are, are put into the public domain. Um, I'd say as a sector that we, we very much welcome this. You know, we um, the, the extent of the climate emergency we face, no one's in denial about that. So uh, the PLSA and, and certainly our members have, have always been very supportive of um, a sort of progressive position on this for the UK sector. Um, it doesn't mean it's easy, I should say. Um, it, it's sort of, there's a lot of... Um, challenges to overcome but I think that everyone ourselves I think the investment community I think the government and regulators are all very much committed to making sure that we what we do is effective as possible um I think at this point you know when we're recording this the ESG debate is particularly um you know it's been a lot of debate in the media the past few weeks about what the the world the world as it is now means for ESG um and I'd say certainly um the, the, you know some of the sort of considerations are increasingly complicated in terms of what trustees need to be considering, um, particularly around some of the sort of social and governance issues. Uh, we've not seen a huge impact um, 
from the uh, on investments from the events in Ukraine, but nevertheless, I think it is seen it is triggered quite a re- quite range into consideration of what this means for ESG going forward. Um, we had a, a, a ESG conference just a few weeks ago, but there were there was sort of universal. Um, acknowledgement from those who were on panels and so on that ESG is important as ever and, and this certainly doesn't um, or it shouldn't um, derail us from what our ambitions are in relation to climate change and, and to, in relation to other issues. Um, I would say that um, we, we sort of, in terms of working with our friends in the investment community, you know, there's been a lot of um, uh, Good sort of working together on this. We've been working with the investment association and others to produce templates to make it as easy as possible, and we certainly, um, you know, we appreciate the efforts that everyone has made to make sure that uh, we're in a good place in relation to this. And, and just to focus on then, because I assume when you mention about templates, that's sort of about standardising ESG data disclosures and, yeah. and similar issues around that, which are uh, a well-known problem as the ESG. Uh, sector evolves but what would PLSA like to see from asset managers to help DC schemes meet their ESG goals obviously this is an evolving issue um, but I know that asset managers are very keen to, to, to more clearly understand what those requirements are. Yes of course yeah I mean as you say data is a huge issue it is a, an evolving issue as you alluded to so um, you know we, we we, we see we think things are improving certainly and we think everyone is doing what they can to sort of um to to, to get the the data that um trustees need to make decisions nevertheless it is something that i think will improve uh, significantly over the coming years i i think that the um i'm seeing an increased focus on stewardship and we're certainly seeing a move away from the perhaps traditional model where trustees um could effectively trust or, well offload that onto their asset managers to worry about the government and I think stakeholders are um, increasingly looking to trustees to ask what they're doing about um, sort of stewarding their assets, how they're voting, you know, how they're sort of monitoring this. And so I think in the coming years, we'll see um, increased expectations on asset managers to be providing information on that, to be uh, demonstrating that it's something that they're actively pursuing um, and, and be able to sort of prove to trustees that the, you know, what the sort of set out in brochures and so on is how they're acting um, in votes and, and other such matters. So I would expect to see that um, that area evolve quite a bit in the coming years. Uh, and um, Karen, um, this this has been um, most helpful to, to get the view of of um, um, pensions and savers um, and, and your members you know, in terms of the, the, the current topic. Can you maybe give us a listener's a flavour of some of the things that you're working on outside of that? Of course. Well, um, our big priority for this year is um, on adequacy. So it's on ensuring that as many people as possible have the opportunity um, to save for uh, the retirement that they deserve. Uh, we've uh, put together a retirement living standards that sort of sets out what a good retirement looks like. Um, and we find that... Uh, quite a high portion of savers are not on target to meet that so we're doing what we can to sort of um to, to, to find solutions to that challenge we absolutely recognize it's not a ideal time in many ways to be um encouraging people to save 
more towards their pension. Um, but we we're sort of working with government on finding other solutions. You know what we can what we can do with employers, uh, what other policy interventions can be made to try and make sure as many people as possible have a, a sort of sound retirement to look forward to. Um, a couple of other things, you know, um, responsible investment. Obviously, that's a, a huge issue for everyone in our world. So, uh, we're continuing to work with our members on that to make sure that they are um, that they have the sort of support and the environment that they need to make these decisions on behalf of their members, um, and, and many other things as well. It's, it's always very busy in the pensions world. <laughs> it sounds it. It sounds it very much so, especially now with the recent announcements. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for today. So all that is left is for me to give a big thank you to coming on the podcast today and also as being such a a, a productive partner as part of the Productive Finance Working Group on behalf of all of AMA. Uh, We look forward to the ongoing discussions there and uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again later once all this has been resolved. So thank you very much. Absolutely. I look forward to it. The Alternative Credit Council is pleased to announce the return of our annual Global Summit, which will take place in London on Tuesday, 7th of June, 2022. The past two years have demonstrated the value of real-time market intelligence and access to industry networks. Now in its fifth year, the summit event will convene LPs, GPs, and industry specialists from across the globe and showcase the full breadth of the asset class. Throughout the day, discussions will focus on identifying the key strategic challenges facing private credit managers and what trends are shaping its growth internationally. Speakers will delve into key trends in product design, investor preferences, and how private credit is contributing to decarbonization. Register today on the ACC website to hear the discussions, network with peers, and to join the evening reception. Welcome back to part two of The Long Short, and we're delighted to be joined by our colleague Nick Smith, Director of Private Credit for AMA's Private Credit Affiliate, the Alternative Credit Council. Uh, Nick, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, We've just heard from Karen and the views of the PLSA on the DWP proposal. Now, AMA is also part of the Productive Finance Working Group, with both yourself and our CEO, Jack, coordinating the views from our membership on this subject. Can you briefly outline our thoughts on the proposal? Thanks, Tom, for having me on the podcast. In short, we think that it's in DC Scheme's interest to have you know, robust, um, credible, dependable ways in which they can invest in alternative assets. They are able to offer them a lot of different attributes to more traditional assets that can be in the interest of their members. Now, not to say that that's always the case. And some firms can, some uh, investors will look at, you know, whether it's hedge funds or credit funds and take the view that perhaps they don't necessarily feel like it's it's right for them. That's that's fine. But for a lot of investors, um, these assets will be very attractive on a number of measures. But at the moment, they face a lot of barriers, whether they're regulatory, operational, in some instances cultural, that prevent them or hinder them from maybe taking as much advantage of these opportunities as they might wish. So our participation in the Productive Finance Working Group and our broader engagement with the UK DC pensions community is trying to understand what those barriers are 
and find practical operational solutions to to remove them so that at the end of the day it becomes as pure an investment decision as possible and not influenced by any any non-investment factors such as you know regulatory or operational challenges that I've mentioned. And Nick, I, I couldn't help but scanning the uh, business headlines this morning and yesterday, immediately following the announcement. And, and I even strayed below the line as well to glance at the comment section for, for what that's worth. And a theme did seem to emerge that I'd really like to get your views on, which is, for better or for worse, it, it, it seemed to come through that a concern was that this uh, alteration to the charge cap and, and other loosening to allow DC schemes to invest in less liquid products would potentially open them up to being exposed to more complex and uh, less liquid products that, that they may then fall foul of when it comes to fulfilling their uh, fiduciary duties. And, and maybe even, as some people pointed out, expose them to nefarious characters that might seek to hoodwink them or, or draw them into areas of the market that they weren't familiar with. Are you able to help sort of straighten that out or, or dispel any concerns there? So I don't think there's a, a higher or a lower prevalence of nefarious characters in, in this part of the investment universe than, than any other part to, to start with. So I'll, I'll kind of sidestep that one. Um, I think there's a couple of points that is sometimes missed in the, the public commentary around this issue. Um, the first is that you know, no, no pension scheme is being forced to do anything it doesn't want to do. Um, there will be no obligation, no compulsion. Um, this move is about reducing what uh, many see as a, as a barrier to investment. You know, quite, quite simply, a lot of alternative asset or, or private market strategies are, are you know, cost more or have higher, um, you know, higher fee-related um, issues that you don't see in the traditional asset markets. They, they cost more than, say, an index tracker. That's, you know, that's just empirical. And these strategies, therefore, will always be harder for DC schemes to accommodate under the charge cap. Um, we believe that um, the government's proposals to exempt some forms of performance fee from the charge cap um, subject to other forms of, of governance, of other forms to ensure uh, member protection it is the right one here. So essentially what the government's proposing to do is swap a relatively fixed quantitative regulatory tool in terms of the charge cap with, with something that is more qualitative that looks at the, the governance that DC schemes apply to their investment in these assets, as well as provides them with a better way to assess the um, the you know, how how meaningful, how well designed certain performance fee structures are to align with what DC schemes constantly tell us are their key key issues, which are things like value for money, ensuring fairness across different cohorts of investors, and ultimately contributing to the returns that they want to deliver on behalf of their members. So. I think while I can understand why people naturally feel that this investor base is is kind of deserving of say more more protection or um you know we should you know we from a public policy point of view should approach them differently to say you know larger institutional investors that's all very understandable I, I think the government's proposal strike a, a good balance between uh, these twin objectives of one protecting 
beneficiaries while also giving them uh, robust ways to access assets that can ultimately be in their interests. And the final thing I would add here is that while the government sketched out its direction of travel, uh, there's still a a lot of work to be done with the Department of Work and Pensions, with the Productive Finance Working Group and other stakeholders to to, uh, establish exactly what that means in practice in terms of guidance or further regulatory change. So, yeah, still, still a lot of road to run. And, and that that's very helpful, uh, Nick, to to um, surmise it in that way. And just thinking about um, the news yesterday, and and you mentioning this has been a proposal. So, is there a open common period for this proposal? Is a consult consultation date deadline? I've read that is that is May. Is that right? And presumably ACC will be working with its members in in providing our own thoughts on on the views expressed yesterday. You're, you're right, Tom. This is very much a process. Um, you know, we have a pretty regular dialogue with the Department of Work and Pensions, with other stakeholders through the Productive Finance Working Group that is assessing just these issues. Um, the government itself has set out in its most recent publication that there's certain questions they want to hear from people more on. So, in terms of the the governance of uh, the DC trustees should be thinking about when it comes to assessing what well-designed performance fees looks like and, and you know well-designed can can take on a number of different meanings and so what we are doing is trying to help give some some shape some form to what that means in practice and how dc scheme trustees should be um thinking about these types of assets these types of fee structures uh, if they are considering how to invest um you, you talked earlier about the the knowledge base you know you know my interaction with the, the DC pensions community over the last 12, 18 months has shown me how kind of smart and capable a lot of them are. Uh, but there is definitely um, an education gap in some instances around uh, some of the features of these assets, um, simply because they are less familiar with them, not that they're not capable of, of, of sort of mastering them. Um, just simply, they've just had less exposure in the past. So there is a big, um, a big process of, of learning across across all sides. And you know, I've certainly learned a lot more about the the challenges that DC schemes face over the last um, twelve months than I I have done uh, in, in 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 many years previously. And, and that's pretty healthy. Um, and I think we we generally support this approach to policy making and getting getting different people around the table and talking about things in real time, as opposed to um, say you know, having governments or, or regulators trying to mediate between different interests. Well, that's excellent to hear, and I, I think I said the same to, to Karen just now that it, it's very reassuring to hear that both parties are coming to this with with the best of intentions and it, and it seems like there is a, a huge amount that can be agreed on even though you potentially are coming at this from, from opposite ends of the of the spectrum on this and it's one of the the the, the great joys of doing this podcast really is it's having people like yourself and you know operating as our man on the inside on this and and helping decrypt and debunk some of the things that uh, come along in the noise as these things complex issues get debated but nick all that's left is for me to say thank you so much for coming on and rounding out uh, this episode and, and explaining Amos' side of this in very interesting conversation thank you for coming on thank you for having me true 
The Long Short is brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AIMA.org. Thanks for listening.